you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text this morning will be taken from the reading in the Gospel of Luke. You may be seated. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you have called us to enter through the narrow door into everlasting life through faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we come to you this day in a place of striving and struggle as we fight towards uh, that day. And we pray this day, God, that you would uh, sustain us in our faith into life everlasting. But now, Lord, have mercy on us as we await that day. Strengthen our faith with your word. And we pray this morning, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. I I hope this morning uh, you were paying attention to the readings. I especially hope you were paying attention to the Old Testament reading uh, from Isaiah 66. I hope you paid attention to the Hebrews reading too. I do like it when we have a reader go for roughly 27 verses. Well done, Gary. I thought we might need to get you oxygen at some point there. That was really good. Uh, But we're not talking about that text at all. Uh, However, Uh, The Isaiah 66 passage today, I hope you were paying attention to that because uh, it was really a marvelous passage, especially for those of us here who always have the question, what is heaven going to be like? We actually get a glimpse of it there in Isaiah chapter 66. It's an incredible passage that describes this day when people from all over the creation, north, south, east, and west, will be gathered together before the throne of Jesus Christ. And there they will worship and praise the Lord for all of eternity. It describes to us this scene that that heaven will be like not this sort of uh, thing where we're all floating on clouds and playing harps and all of that kind of business, but rather gathered for a festival, gathered for a celebration with all the saints and all the angels, and we will see Jesus Christ face to face. Uh, This this text always reminds me of that marvelous verse from the hymn we sing on All Saints Sunday. You know the hymn called For All the Saints. And we sing this line that I can can hardly ever get through, but where we say this, Lo, there breaks a yet more glorious day. The saints triumphant rise in bright array. And the King of glory passes on his way. Alleluia, alleluia. There all the saints gathered around Jesus Christ. It's just, it's almost too much to fathom. It's, it's more than we can really even comprehend. And part of the reason I think it's so hard for us to comprehend is because we're not there yet, are we? We are not living in the new heavens and the new earth. No, we now live in the time of trial and temptation. We live in the time of struggle and strife. And though you and I who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been promised this beautiful and glorious day, we are not yet in the glory. But now is the time in which Jesus' people have been called to carry a cross. We've been called to suffer with Jesus Christ. And of course, certainly not to the extreme that Jesus suffered. That's not what we mean. But we do mean that like Christ, we are beset by temptations and attacks on our faith and and our consciences from the devil. Uh, You and I, we fight in this world against doubts and insecurities. You and I must face disease and death. It is a constant striving and a constant struggle. And so Jesus says today, we must strive to enter through the narrow door. Because this is the time in which we bear a cross. 
And the only thing that can sustain us, the only thing that can carry us through is this promise of this eternal glory when we see Jesus Christ with all the saints. It is that promise from Christ that sustains us in the midst of our trials. But now as we come to this reading today and we think about these things, other questions tend to arise. As we look at this reading and we notice that there's a lot of people coming into the kingdom of God, we also hear from our reading in the gospel that a lot of people will not be coming into the kingdom of God. And so there's a great number of questions that arise from this. These questions are not new. In fact, these were the questions that were being asked by the Jews even back in Jesus' day. Now, it's worth keeping in mind that the Jews believed that they were God's chosen people, and they were right about this. In the Old Testament, uh, God chose them to bring forth the Messiah. They were the people God chose to give us Jesus. And so our, our Savior was born as a Jew. And this is a wonderful thing. But the Jews began to believe that they were sort of elected and chosen by God, and they were going to be saved by God because of something about them. And so they believed that they would be the ones who were saved because of their heritage, because of their bloodline, and because they were the ones who kept the law. They were the ones who were obedient to the law. And so God uh, would give them probably front row seats in his kingdom. But then the question began to arise among them. We know the Jews are the chosen ones, uh, but will all the Jews be saved? Or will some be left out? Will only Jews be saved? You read Isaiah, it sounds like there's people coming from all over creation. So who will be saved? How many will be saved? And you and I know that this same question comes up all the time in our own minds. We wonder this as well. How many will be saved? Who will be saved? Why some and not others? So all of us can kind of identify with this person who speaks to Jesus one day as he's making his way to the cross and comes to him and asks the question, Lord... Will those who are saved be few? Now, I want you to notice how the gentleman, or lady, we don't know who asked the question. Uh, we want you to notice today how the person who asked this question did so. Very academically. Sort of in a removed fashion. Almost like going to the professor saying, Professor Jesus, what are your views on predestination? What do you think about the election of God, Lord? Tell us about God's sovereignty. You know, they, they want to kind of get at this from an academic perspective, but Jesus, you see, will have none of it. For Jesus is no academic philosophy professor who is interested in teaching you the science of God's eternal election and foreordination or something like this. No, Jesus is not going to allow you or I to climb up into heaven to dissect the brain of God. Rather, he brings this question back down to earth. And not only does he bring the question back down to earth, he actually puts the question to you. Because Jesus knows that this question is never asked in an academic fashion. That there's always a question behind the question. We ask this question, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Because we're worried, right? We're worried about our love. Demonstrate faith anymore. We're worried about those people who've never heard the gospel. But what will God do with them? And if we're honest, we're often worried about ourselves. Lord, will those who are saved be few? And how do I know I will be among them? And so the question comes to us, and it's a, it's a difficult question. And Jesus' initial response today, it doesn't, it doesn't bring a lot of comfort. Lord, will the number of those who are saved be few? And Jesus says essentially, yes, it will be few. Listen to how he responds. 
Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. This is the gospel of the Lord, right? The number will be few, so you must strive to enter through the narrow door. Now, we must be careful here with the way Jesus speaks, because we might mishear him. Some of us might hear about this striving to enter through the narrow door, and immediately we'll immediately we sort of uh, start to think about like an olympic race or something like this that only the best of the best will get through so you work hard you strive hard you prove yourself to be truly faithful and if you're the best of the best jesus will let you through the door and everyone else who worked for it sorry guys weeping and gnashing of teeth for you no that's not what he's getting at here what jesus is showing us here today when he speaks of this language of striving is, is what we mentioned before that you and I who have Christ Jesus, we live now in the time of the cross. And we will bear this cross. And it will be difficult. For you see, when Jesus saved you, he decided to move in. He took over your heart. And the old sinful nature wasn't all that happy to see him there. And so a battle began to ensue. St. Paul describes it this way in the book of Galatians. He says that your heart is a battlefield for, for uh, the old sinful flesh and for the Holy Spirit. And throughout your life, this striving will continue. This, this battle for your faith will continue, and it will be difficult. Now, know this. The Spirit has promised to bring you through the narrow door. The promise has been made to you because Jesus went through the wide door of death so that he might close it for you, and you might come into everlasting life. He has promised to forgive your sins, and he's in promise to bring you through this door. But there are any number of things in this world fighting against you in this endeavor fighting against Christ Jesus. Christ has accomplished all of it. And we must strive to cling to that promise. Now, there are those, then, who will try to seek a way through this door apart from Christ and apart from the promise. There are those who will refuse to repent of their sins. They will refuse to heed the call of Christ. They will trust, as the Jews were doing, their heritage or their obedience. We'll see the same thing in our own day where we'll trust something about ourselves to get us through. We figure if, if we do everything the way God wants us to, we listen to the right kind of Christian music and we take care of our family in the right Christian way and we go to the right church and belong to the right denomination and we give the right amount of money and give enough of our time, then clearly we'll be the ones that God will bring through because look at all that we have done. And our faith will be in our accomplishments and not in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are those who will look at their lives in this world and say, I've done everything the right way. I voted the right way. I took care of my family. I had the right philosophy. I did everything I could to make this world a better place. And you and I would look at these people and we, we would say, they really kind of are the best of the best. They've really done much more than the rest of us. They probably will have the best seats in the kingdom of God. And they would agree. After all, see all that they have done. And Jesus says, there are those who strive and work so hard in this way that will not make it in. For their faith is in themselves and not in Christ. Jesus says, anyone who has trusted anything but me will be cast out. And as hard as it is to hear, if you are one of those people who is trusting in your own accomplishments instead of Jesus Christ, this is a warning for you that those who reject Christ and trust something else will begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us and he will answer. I do not know you or where you come from. 
Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Yo, and what's so disconcerting about this is that the people Jesus has in view here are those that we look at as sort of uh, the best of the best, as we've said already. These are the very people the culture and the religious world will look at and see they are the first. They have got it all together. It's likely that Jesus had in view here the Pharisees and the religious leaders, which we give the Pharisees and religious leaders a bad name, but in Jesus' day, these were the ones selling all the books in the bookstores, right? Like, these were the guys. They were the best of the best. But for all their worldly righteousness, they lacked one thing. The master of the house did not know where they came from. For they did not trust the son. They became workers of unrighteousness, of evil. Their work, as good and as religious as it looked, stood against and over and above Christ, they thought. For they were those who tried to take salvation into their own hands. They tried to save the world through their own schemes. They tried to control their own fate and very often did so by trying to control others. And Jesus says, they stand in opposition to those who actually have a seat at the table. They stand in opposition to people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all of the prophets, and strangely and offensively enough, Gentiles who believed from the east and the west and the north and the south. So the question then becomes, what's the difference? What's the difference between Abraham and the prophets and, and, and the patriarchs and, and, and these, these Gentiles and those who have rejected, who will not be in? What's the difference between them? Well, the difference is simply this. Abraham received a promise. And so did Isaac and Jacob. And it's a promise that all the prophets clung to. And it's a promise that has been proclaimed uh, to all those in the north, south, east, and west who have been baptized into Christ Jesus and even to you. And it is a promise that is rejected by those who are on the outside. It's a promise which says a Savior comes and he comes for you. The great saints of the Old Testament received that promise before the Savior came and now you have received it hereafter. The promise, again, is that the Lord Jesus has chosen to purchase you with his own blood and to set a place for you at the table alongside Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the prophets at the great marriage feast of the Lamb in the kingdom of God forever. A sinner such as you, one who really is sort of the least in the eyes of the world. The Lord Jesus has chosen you to come through the narrow door. He has decided to save you, to set you a seat, to forgive your sins, and to usher you in. It's not going to be an easy road getting there. But all of this has been accomplished for you by Jesus Christ. Now, you may say, I'd like to do more. I want something a little more certain than that promise. And you may reject that promise and cling to your righteousness in the world. But recognize that doing so will leave you weeping outside where there is gnashing of teeth. Rather, this morning, simply hear this promise. Receive this gift. It's from Jesus Christ himself. A place is prepared for you. Trust that promise. For Jesus knows you. And he forgives you. And though you strive through this veil of tears, he will bring you at the last through the narrow door to himself in heaven. 
Alleluia. Alleluia. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you striving against anything that would try and draw our faith away from your Son. Help us, Lord, to cling to your Son in faith, to trust your promises at all times. Lord, deliver us from the evil one. Protect us from any temptation that would draw us away from you. And hold us tightly in the palm of your hand, knowing that we, we give you thanks that you do this, knowing that you will never leave us nor forsake us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.